Hey, I'm Rebecca Bonington and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Journey podcast. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to have with me Dr. Richard Bandler. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Um, This is a fantastic opportunity to find out about the business of NLP. You're the co-creator of NLP, and I'd really like you to explain to people out there who don't know what it is, what is it exactly? Well, NLP is the study of successful thinking and successful behaviors, whereas psychology tries to figure out what's wrong with people. We don't do that. Uh, What we do is find people that are the very best at what they do, find out how they're thinking, and teach other people to think like them to make it easier to learn to do what they do. We started out, you know, with things that had to do with psychotherapy, eventually went to things like sales. Uh, We've done everything from military training now and pistol shooting and everything under the sun uh, because, you know, spelling, a lot of things that have to do with education, uh, uh, musical education, mathematical education, uh, that if you think like successful people, even spelling, uh, they teach you to spell phonetics and you can't even spell phonetics phonetically. It's a ludicrous system. And so we try to teach people, you know, that people that spell well, you know, look at a little word on paper and then they make a big picture of it in their mind. And they, you know, they say it and, and sometimes they even say it in several different contexts and make it a different color for each context. And then they look away and they come back and they do it and then they double check it to make sure it's the same. Once they do that, all they have to do is look at the big picture and copy it down. It makes them better spellers. Sure. And since spelling is primarily a written task, except in spelling bees, uh, that, you know, finding somebody who is exquisite. We found somebody that won a spelling bee and this asked, and her letters were actually this big. So if you have a word this big in your head, it's easier to see it. And it doesn't matter how long the word is, it's still one picture, but it has to be an identically remembered picture. And that's, you know, we have different hemispheres and they do different things. Once you construct an image, you can store it in memory and teaching people how you do that neurologically. We've been able to get people who have who are terrified of flying and every other thing and teach them how to neurologically get beyond those fears and without understanding where they came from or psychologically understanding them, we get the brain to learn new behaviors. And we've done a lot of things like that business people over the years. I designed sales training courses for a lot of major corporations that got people to increase their close ratio by, by paying attention to how people think and packaging the information so that it matches how they think. So if they think a lot in pictures, you describe a picture to them, you know, and if they think a lot in feelings, then you describe how to have a feeling about something and how to see themselves in an image so that they can make a decision about whether they want to buy something. And uh, that thinking of yourself as a decision engineer instead of a salesperson becomes very functional. And that's really what successful salespeople do. They, they think about not just closing, they think about packaging the information with this person. So they don't just have one sales pitch that everybody has to adjust to. Okay. They adjust the pitch to the person and the way in which they make decisions. And being able to read eye movement patterns and gestures and nonverbal cues to know whether they're getting through or not and how to adjust it and how to change their language. We've studied hypnotic language and sales effective language and educational language to find out what kinds of sentence structures affect people more powerfully. 
And we've been at this for uh, half a century now, so. Is it that long? Yeah, it's that long, that. 52 years I've been doing this. Wow, so it, it's grown from what, the 70s was when it started NLP? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my maths. Um, and how has the business of NLP developed? So I know I'm on a training here in Orlando and there are people from all over the world here. So how have you achieved that? Well, to start with, you know, when I set out, this, I did not set out to let everybody know about this. I did it for myself. Okay. And uh, there was a point at which, you know, I had psychiatrists bringing me patients and I was getting results that they couldn't get. And they started talking to each other. And somebody said, you should do a seminar and give us a chance to learn a whole bunch of things you know. Okay. And so the first thing I did was, was uh, at the time I worked at a publishing company. So I knew about Bowker, which was a company that sold mailing lists. So I decided I could take the same hypnotic language and design a mailing piece. And so I took uh, 50 different lists and took a thousand names off of each list. And then I wrote 20 different brochures and sent them out oh. and tested the list to find out which ones worked and which ones didn't. Because okay. like Psych Today is a terrible list for psychologists because nobody ever responds to anything. Sent out a thousand, get nothing back. Whereas the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, you know, I got about a three or 4% return. And then I kept adjusting the mailing pieces and I found out most of the things that I was taught about mailing pieces were wrong. Now, uh, well, they kept saying, you know, don't have much writing in them. And I sent out one that was just detailed with little writing and that stuff. And it was probably the best one I ever did because it gave people more information on which to make choices. And it gave me a chance to use more predicates so that, you know, I could do things visually, auditorily, and kinesthetically as well. And, uh, you know, and there were there were there were things like they kept saying, you know, that they had to be colorful. But if they look like every other brochure, people don't even read them. And then, you know, there was a point at which I discovered that, you know, that that it, you you can convince people to put you on the radio and stuff. You could pay somebody to do it, and it was quite expensive. But I also found out that you know I I could just call up a station and say. I, you know, I'm sorry, you know, somebody left a message. They wanted me to be on this station. You know, what time do you want me to come? And people would go, well, which person? And then they'd say, oh, we'll get back to you. And then somebody would call back and go, who exactly are you? And I'd start talking to them. And the next thing you know, I'd be on the radio. I did this with television stations. I even did it to be hired by corporations. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I called up and I said, you know, I, I got this letter from you guys that you wanted me to make a presentation. And I said, and, and there's no signature on it. Who's the person that hires people to do, you know? And the next thing you know, I have that person calling me on the phone and they're going, well, I didn't send the letter. And I said, well, I don't know who did. They go, what does it say? And they gave me a chance to make a sales pitch. Brilliant. That, uh, that if you want exposure, you expose yourself. And, uh, but the best exposure, you know, I, I, to me, I have this policy that when you send out an ad, or you, you, know, you communicate with somebody on the phone when they call in or anything, you promise them about 20% of what you intend to deliver in that amount of time. Okay. So that when they come in, their expectations they think are high, but you exceed them so much that they're impressed enough that they come back and they talk to other people about it. So the secret is finding the right audience, testing and see what works and adjusting mm -hmm. until, and, and that um, sending out lots of information 
is really counterintuitive because, again, in digital marketing, we're taught, look, keep it short and sweet. People have a really low attention span. Are you still using the same techniques now that people are supposed to have a short attention span? Or are you still sending out the longer form information? Well, I, don't, I personally don't spend no, a lot of time I on know. digital media. You know, I mean, there, there are other people doing that. I now go and work for people who do it. And it depends upon their audience. Okay. Uh, you know, after 50 years, I have a pretty dedicated audience. But, you know, to me, you have to understand some people have a short attention span and some people look at this and it doesn't look like much. So I'm, I'm the guy that does both. You know, websites aren't that expensive. Have two. I, I, we, must have, we must have 50 for this. At least John has a lot of websites. They all go to the same place. And pretty much, you know, we're, we have a dedicated clientele, so we don't have to do a lot of convincing. People starting out are going to have to explore what works. Mm. What NLP is about, especially neuro-linguistic programmers out there starting businesses, should understand that, you know, the whole thing is to find out what works. And so you're not reinventing the wheel. You find people who have been very successful. You look at what they're doing and how they're doing it, and you repeat it. And if you're doing something that, you know, if I tested, if I tested 100 ads and one works better than the others, well, you get rid of those and then you go, how can I make this better? That constantly we're trying to get more done with less, but it's not the amount of words. I mean, there could be a thousand words and people just get tired of reading them. Mm. Um, I've gotten, especially for financially investing things, where they just go on and on and I'm going, just tell me where to fucking sign up. And you can't do it until you go through all this fucking crap. And I'll run out of patience and go, fuck it, I don't want anything from this guy. Talks too fucking much. Mm. So, you know, it's one of those things where you have to find out to your audience what works. What would work with me may not be the same as most other people. But there's no reason why you can't have two choices. No. There's no reason on there where there couldn't be a button where when I'm convinced I could press it and buy the fucking thing now instead of wait until I read to the end. You don't have to torture people to sell them something. <laughs> and, you know, some of us make quicker decisions than others. Some people need more information than others. And you could even put a thing, if you need more information, press this button. Yeah. All of the choices are available to you, but you have to measure what works. If you don't have a way of finding out where your leads come from and what they are. And, you know, I see TV things where they, they go, they go, you know, if you put this, when you buy this, put this code on, you know, so that people will know that it came from the ad. But most people aren't going to do that. No. So it doesn't give you the information. You need to show your commercials during a certain period of time and find out who called. And know, because if you run all your ads on every station at the same time, you won't know where the, which ones are working and which ones aren't. And why advertise on 20 stations if all of your responses are coming from one? Absolutely. You know, yeah. it might be a little more expensive at first, but really the whole thing is to find out how little you can spend to get the biggest audience. Because if, if, if you have to especially borrow money to advertise, that's just, to me, that's like a sin. Mm -hmm. You don't borrow money to make money. You take money and make money with it. And when you don't have money, you do it yourself. I started out in the beginning 50 years ago, a hand addressing envelopes from these mailing lists, right? Because, you know, we didn't have, all have home computers and that no. stuff in those days. I mean, you know, a thousand envelopes here, a thousand envelopes there, putting the stamps on them and sending out the brochures. 
and uh, that, you know, if that's what it takes, that's what you do. You sit up all night, you know. Entrepreneurs have to have an entrepreneurial spirit that says, I'll do whatever it takes, number one, to be successful, and number two, to do it inexpensively, mm. you know. Okay, so on this 50-year journey, have there been any points at which you thought, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore, this is too difficult, because so many entre entrepreneurs experience that and think about giving up. Has that ever happened to you? No, it's not my nature, I don't no. think. It's not really in my nature. That I've had every obstacle you could imagine right. thrown at me at one time. I've had my business destroyed you know, by bad business partners and by people who work for me and tried to steal my business. And, you know, I've had trouble with the government. I've had trouble with freaking everybody. And uh, the harder it gets, the more determined you have to be. And it, you have to make that an instinct because, you know, failure is a definition of time. Failure only happens because you stop now. And if you don't stop, then failure hasn't happened. You can find some way, you know, to rise up out of the ashes and survive when everybody else can. I mean, in my career, I've seen people come and go and come and go in this business. And, you know, it, it's because they don't have the tenacity and because they don't make it enjoyable. In some ways, the more obstacles you get, the more opportunity you have to learn to do, get around things and do things more efficiently. The enjoyable bit is really interesting because I meet a lot of business owners who, who hate their own businesses and they feel really stuck doing that. Um, and they don't seem to understand that they're in control of the business and they can do it in an enjoyable way. What advice would you give to somebody well, like that? See, before you change your business, I know people have sold their business, you know, and you know, I knew somebody who had a big successful air conditioning business and he sold it and tried to become a professional golfer. And, you know, he, you know, it, eventually he ran out of money and he had to go back into the air conditioning business, you know, and, uh, but the truth is, is he liked playing golf, but he didn't realize he could like what he was doing. Okay. The most malleable thing there is, is your brain. If you change the way you think about it, it will become fun. It's not that golf is more fun than selling air conditioners. It's the way you think about it that makes you have those feelings. And if you change the way you think, it changes how you feel and therefore it changes what you're capable of doing and the quality of every moment of your entire life. Mm, okay, so who inspires you? Because a lot of business owners look up to people like you, look up to, I know there's lots of podcasts these days with business owners talking about entrepreneurship. Who inspires you? Well, uh, I, I'm inspired all the time by people who overcome difficulties. And it may, it's not that, you know, I mean, I, I think Tesla's really bright, but I don't think I'd want to have lunch with him. No. You know, and uh, Bill Gates even more so. You know, I mean, what he did to become ultra successful, you know, uh, it's great. But when I look at what he's doing with his time and his money, I think, you know, it's just not for me. These people don't inspire me because I'm inspired to like what I'm doing and to feel like I accomplished something. You know, I'm, I'm not measuring by the amount of dollars I make. I, you know, I don't have to be the richest person in the world to be happy. I'm pretty much happy anyway, mm -hmm. and I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm inspired sometimes by my own clients. You know, I see these people who have struggled with shit for years, and they come in and they tell me, they look me straight in the eye and they go, I've given up. 
And I say, you're a liar, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Some part of you still has to think there's a way out of all this crap. Mm. And when I see them take a few instructions and a few trances and turn their entire life around, you know, I mean, I had a depressive that became a comedian and, you know, the list goes on. I find this very inspirational. It is. And sometimes they're just clever things. There's somebody that went into Michigan and when all these factories were closing down up there, you know, as a car, you know, this is a couple decades ago. And he looked at what was going on. Here are these towns that are literally shutting down and depopulating. And uh, he went to Switzerland and got retired watchmakers, brought them to the town and had people in the town learn to make watches and started manufacturing watches in an old Shinola shoe factory. Oh, wow. And uh, so not only was he selling shoe polish, he's now selling watches. They carried them in Neiman Marcus. Wow. And then he got another factory and he trained people to make turntables and another one where they did leather goods. So, uh, and you know, I didn't know the story of this. It just turned out that it happened to be in the town where I lived. And I went into the, their store in the town and I said, where are the corporate offices? And they went, <laughs> and, and it turns out it's actually an investment company, not a watch company. They just took money and they, they were investing in things like real estate. And they looked at these factories and they said, what will make this real estate valuable? And it's, it becomes valuable if all the unemployed, depressed people became employed, the town would flourish again. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a town that was living off of one factory, you know, that made some car part. And now suddenly, you know, they've got a factory making watches and and they're making a hundred different watches, not two. And it, to me, when I hear success stories like that, it's not the person that inspires me. It's the intelligence that mm. inspires me and stories like that, which I hear all the time about stuff. And whether it's a, an intelligent guy in the military or an intelligent guy helping, you know, people who are disabled you know, uh, to, to be more, you know, the guy that made the stoves that lower down, you know, I just I think that was smart. You yeah. know, he looked at all these handicapped people and he goes, the stoves are too high to cook if you're in a wheelchair, you know, so we, we put a little motor in it, make the stove lower. Why not? I mean, it, you know, they do it with a chiropractic table. Why yeah, can't they, they do it with a stove? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when, when you see people that are looking at the needs of the world, this planet, there's no shortage of them. There's, oh, you're either looking for opportunities for success or you're a nihilist and going, you know, what we need to do is go back to having windmills, you know, well, we'll just have, we'll eat grain and have windmills and, and the planet will be better off. And no, it won't. There's more people with warm, full and dry on this planet than there ever has been. Absolutely. There are more people living in good situations than there ever was. It doesn't mean there aren't people in bad situations. There are some bad situations going on on the planet right now in lots of places. But it used to be the whole planet that people were starving and the whole planet where there was massive disease everywhere. It keeps getting better and nobody acknowledges that progress is the answer. We will switch from fossil fuels eventually, mm -hmm. but to try to do it tomorrow is just bad planning. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's that, you know, that's that, that leap before you look thing instead of planning out. You know, it, it's people who built trains across America, you know, had a, a vision that was longer in time. They built a little train that went this far and then they went, well, we could have one that went that far. And then somebody on the other side said, hey, you know, if we got together, we could make it go all the way across. And it changed this country forever. And, you know, and then later on, they're going railroads built this country. No people built mm -hmm. this country. 
and they built it because they had a vision. And anybody who has a vision and, and follows through inspires me. I guess your business is about um, the human spirit and really getting that to its maximum and people achieving their maximum potential. Would that be accurate? It's, it actually goes further than that. Okay. I want them to achieve more than their potential. Oh, My okay. expectations for them are much bigger than theirs of their own. Uh, they wrote an article about one time, and the, the art, title of the article is, This Guy Thinks You're Smarter Than You Are. And the truth is, when I get done with them, they are. It's not, you know, the, the last book I wrote was about becoming smarter on purpose. And, you know, if you think on purpose, then you can get people on purpose to change what their limitations are. Mm. You know, you're only as smart as you are, but that doesn't determine how smart you can be. That's true. And how happy you can be and how successful you can be. And, it, it, you know, the easiest thing in the world to change is beliefs with the skills that we have. And the truth is, if you change what you believe, it changes what you're capable of doing. You're capable of imagining and, and therefore capable of trying. Perfect. So what's next for NLP? Anything or for you or for the business? Well, for me, you know, right, right, right now, we're, we're trying to expand. Uh, there are a lot of things that happened during COVID mm -hmm. and, you know, that some of the people's businesses didn't survive. And so we're, we're looking for, you know, new, new promoters to be successful in other places. And, you know, because at this stage of my life, pretty much, I want to go in and do the training and I'm trying to get people, you know, to rebound. They're still telling people they can't fly in. Mm -hmm. Even for this seminar, there were people that had the wrong vaccine, right? You know, and, uh, you know, and there are people that got here that were walking around with a mask on and we kept going, this is Florida. You don't have to wear yeah. a mask unless you feel like wearing a mask. It's a personal choice. It's not mandated by the government. Cross the state line and it is, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, there are goofy stuff like this. I mean, when I went to Costa Rica, you know, everybody had to, uh, you know, I had to get a, a test to make sure we didn't have COVID to get on the plane. And then they, the first thing they told us to do was to wear a mask. I mean, you know, these, these people say they're following the science and I have no idea what science is. Mm. Science is do what I say. And that's not what science is. Science is always looking for a way to conquer problems, you know, and the people that built vaccines were, were people that imagined and built things. And, but they're now lying about which ones work and when they work and, that becomes about politics and money. It does. And uh, to me, I'm trying to find ways of, of now getting back up and running. You know, I, you know, I was grounded for a year. I, I, I could only talk to people through the window of Zoom, <laughs> right? It was like trying to teach a seminar outside the room from the window. Hey, everybody in there. You know, I like to be there in person and mix it up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, at this point in my life, you know, I, I want all of my institutes, all of my students to rise up. So we're doing as much as we can to promote people's podcasts. Thank you. And to help them get their businesses up because I believe in you guys. I believe in you guys. And I want the world to flourish and do good and get smarter so we'll stop doing stupid things. Are you listening, Putin? Are you listening, Putin? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you My for pleasure. everything you've done for me. Thank you. I really appreciate right. it.